in workplaces, you have folks who have really great experience in management. Uh, you might have someone who in a prior life was a financial advisor. Um, you have managers who have different levels of experience and creating smaller peer groups to leverage each other from a coaching and learning perspective can be a really helpful way to provide a benefit to someone. I need help with X from someone else who's in the company. And what's great about that is those tend to be lower cost and they're just great development opportunities. Welcome to Dear Human Resources, a show about HR topics and current trends. Our guests are practitioners and researchers who share their in-depth knowledge and experience with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. In this episode, we welcome Anitra Saint-Hilaire, an HR professional with more than 25 years of experience who is currently employed at the company 3Flow. She's going to talk about creating attractive benefits packages on the shoestring for startups. Anitra will also talk about what it's like to be a Black female HR leader, and she'll give some tips for underrepresented HR professionals. Welcome, Anitra. Hello. Thank you for having me today. So creating attractive benefits packages that help recruit and retain a quantity workforce has become quite difficult and very often expensive. What makes a benefits package attractive to employees these days? I really love this question because the idea of attractiveness, I think in the past has really been a set of very specific things. You need your medical, dental vision. Uh, if you're in a great company, maybe you have some retirement plan. And over time, particularly as we've seen more startups, what we're seeing is a move towards individualized benefits, things that may appeal to a very diverse group of individuals. And so the idea of attractive benefits can often sound like pet insurance, uh, long-term care insurance, professional development stipends, and the ability to have loans paid off, or even financial wellness benefits. Uh, where I take all of that is when you think of attractive and things that sell for people, there is looking at your core set of things that now employees expect everyone to have, and then what's going to be really special and sparkle. Um, and attractive is not necessarily a thing that you need to sell to people. It's selling the story of what great benefits are that I think makes a company able to stand out. Certainly, if you have a ping pong table, that might be a lot of fun. But if you can really get the story out of what your benefits are and why you're providing those, you can really make many different kinds of benefit packages look attractive. So startups and nonprofit organizations are notorious for not having a lot of funds. So how can they create attractive benefits packages on the shoestring? It's a complicated question. And Going back to that word attractive, I think a company's responsibility is really to help mold and help someone, a candidate looking at a company, understand what that philosophy is. And that helps an employee or a future employee figure out whether that is attractive to them. And so I often start with focusing on what matters the most to your employee population. If a company is really trying to match what other companies have, you will quickly find out that your pocket will not allow for you to match 
what some companies are able to do. And instead, it's really important to start first with who is the employee population you have and the employee population you are trying to recruit. And you don't need to offer all the things, but you do need to think about what's really important for that group of people and start there. The next thing I take a look at is your values. And what I mean by that is, Obviously, there are the set of company values, core values that most organizations talk about. But when you think about how you want to provide and take care of your employee population, are you really looking to focus on specific populations? I want to empower the women that work here, or I really am focused on supporting a work-life balance. I want this place to be a lot of fun for people. I want this to be a learning organization. You can find some really creative and not very expensive ways to dig into those specific paths without having to offer something that's incredibly expensive for everyone. Uh, Even a small professional development stipend, for example, can really provide a lot of benefit. And it doesn't have to be everyone is getting a full-on learning management system package that costs tens of thousand dollars a year. I'd also say leveraging other employees. So in workplaces, you have folks who have really great experience in management. Uh, You might have someone who in a prior life was a financial advisor. Um, You have managers who have different levels of experience and creating smaller peer groups to leverage each other from a coaching and learning perspective can be a really helpful way to provide a benefit to someone. I need help with X from someone else who's in the company. And what's great about that is those tend to be lower cost and they're just great development opportunities for others. And then I'd also say, as you do this though, really recognize who you are potentially excluding. When you think about the budgets that you want to set? Are you aiming to have every employee have the same uh, expenditure? Or are you looking to over-invest in certain places or differently invest? And so one of the best examples I can use here is one of family. So lots of organizations will pay very high percentage deductible for employees, and then some lesser deductible for families. Uh, And people who don't have families, they have their benefits fully paid for. People who do, there's a greater cost. There's nothing wrong with that. But you as an organization may decide, we're just going to heavily invest in families, and we're going to spend our money to make sure all of our employees and their dependents are taken care of. And we have made that trade-off versus something else, or vice versa. We're going in 100% on our employees, And we're going to pay a lot less on the dependents because we want to spend equitably across the team. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Speaking about benefits and perks that don't cost anything to organizations, I recently read about the paternity benefit, which allow employees to take pet time off when they adopt a pet or Mm -hmm. when the pet is sick. Have you heard in your 25 years of experience, have you heard of that benefit? I have not heard about pet time off. I have heard about more and more allowances or, or benefits that relate to pets, like the pet insurance. I have not heard of the pet time off yet, but I can see 
why some companies may decide to do that. Lots of employees feel very strongly that their pets are a member of their family. And while I don't have any uh, from the stories I've heard, having a new little puppy or kitten at home can be quite a bit of work. And I think it's up to companies to decide if this is a benefit that they feel they can leverage. Similarly, I've heard of companies providing leaves for individuals who have decided not to have families. Uh, And there is some benefit to saying, because this individual has chosen not to have a family, we would like to provide them with some time off. The flip side of that is I would personally make the argument that that is different than taking time off to care for a new addition to your family. And companies have to think through what those choices mean and what they're saying about both sides of the coin when they make calls to do things like that. Yeah, very true. I I think the paternity benefit specifically came about because the surge in adoption of pets during COVID. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. So Anitra, prior to this podcast recording, you offered to talk about what it's like to be a Black female HR leader. So you've been in the field of HR for about 25 years. How has your experience been? (laughs) It has been a varied and interesting one. I I like to start off by saying my experiences as a Black female um, HR leader, it is also an experience partially as a parent, partially as someone who grew up in a certain part of the world, and all of these different pieces of me sort of lead to the experience that I have. And so I'll always feel like it's important just to name that my experience, while there are likely similarities with other um, Black female HR leaders, there are also going to be some places where my experience is going to be the complete opposite of of someone else's experience. And, And that's okay. For me, I think I've not always known that I wanted to be in HR. Finance was originally my background. And I found that Having a very strong business sense and understanding sort of the math and the numbers at a time, 25 years seems so long, uh, at a time when I think I really felt the, the weight of being a person of color and a female in what has traditionally been a more male-dominated industry, I felt it was really important for me to know my stuff. And that's how I was able to succeed was just being a very strong business ally. And I think over time, I've accepted and sort of leaned into who I am as an individual and bringing all the parts of myself to work. And while having the business knowledge is imperative and important and the HR skill is imperative and important to be successful, I do think there's value in bringing that level of authenticity, who you are, and what my background and experience has allowed me to bring to the table. As someone who grew up in a low-income background, uh, I can speak to why some of the benefits that we have might be more difficult for someone. Case in point, oftentimes companies will have stipends where you can spend up to X number of dollars and we'll reimburse you. Well, as someone who grew up not having X number of dollars, it is more difficult for me to access that benefit. And so thinking about ways you can buy something on someone's behalf, for example. But generally speaking, I think it's been really leaning in on my experience and growth, finding lots of mentors to work with and help me understand the world in which I'm operating. And that changes from 
financial services, which is where I started, to the tech startup environment, which is what I'm in now. Those are very different environments. And so finding mentors to guide and help me understand what the environments and cultures in that I'm working. And then finally, I would say knowing your own personal values has been really helpful to me uh, in making decisions about where I'm going to go and finding places that truly see me for who I am, which is a mix of things, as opposed to trying to fit into a particular culture. And sometimes that's been more difficult based on my background, uh, has been very powerful. And so I've been lucky enough to land at organizations like 3Flow, where I feel like I can be my true and authentic self. And that is not just tolerated, but valued and accepted, which I think many people will be able to find in their jobs, but they do have to understand what that means for themselves and then go out and find the places that will accept and embrace those parts of yourself. Would you say it has been a positive improvement, a positive change over the past 25 years? I think generally, yes. I think that what I've seen is companies and to some extent society fighting with this idea of what is traditional, what is this supposed to be, and evolving more into a place of what could this be? What should this be? Where do I want this place to be? And I think you really see that in some of the smaller startup environments, because there's an opportunity to just create a thing from the beginning and have something that works based on that population of people versus a company with tens of thousands of people that it just takes a lot longer to push things in, in a certain direction. But I, I would say that if I were starting out now, the platform that I would have to talk about what I might need, to talk about what is important to me and find places that fit that as opposed to what it takes to be successful is you need to look a certain way. Um, I couldn't wear my hair natural many years ago. I remember that was feedback I got after an interview that I needed to show up to the next interview with a, not braids, uh, something that looked more professional. And now I could wear my hair natural to work and I would probably just get comments on whether people liked it. I, I think that is actually a move in the right direction, but I want to make sure that as we continue to move in this direction, we still all remember that at its core, companies do have different values and not every place is going to be the same for everyone. And that's okay. Uh, there are companies that I've worked where I think they're wonderful and they're great. And it's probably not the right place for me because where I am with my value system is not going to be necessarily aligned with where the company is in their value system. And I've been privileged and lucky to find a place that things that I feel very strongly about, the company also feels very strongly about. And that's, uh, that has definitely been a positive change for me. And I think others are seeing that for themselves. That's the effort for diversity and inclusion make you a little optimistic? Yes, it does. Um, the hesitation you're hearing in my voice is there is an effort towards diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and belonging and creating places where people can really do uh, their best work for the time that they're there. And I, I love that. I can see counterbalances to this uh, and where people are feeling this is going too far. And, and we're trying to find this place where we can all understand values. And I keep coming back to values just because I think they're at the heart of so many companies and who they are. I hope that we continue to really push the conversation forward 
and work together to land at a place where any person at a company can feel like they can bring their best self to work and that person be seen and respected in the environment in which they sit. But I also would say that any individual will not be successful at all companies. And that's okay too. I don't think the world we're moving towards is every company is going to be great for every person. And that's also okay. Anitra, do you have any tips for other underrepresented HR professionals? I love the way you asked that question. Saying underrepresented individuals, uh, oftentimes uh, I will get questions about what it's like to be a minority. And that word it is something that I don't think describes sort of my experience and many others. It is not specific enough, I think, uh, nowadays when you're talking about groups of people. Uh, and so I just wanted to acknowledge and, and, and thank you for asking, asking that question. I think first of all is looking into yourself and what is it that you want to bring to the world? Uh, and I don't mean this in a flowery way. I truly mean when you think about the set of things that are truly important to you, what are you looking to get out of work? What are the things that motivate you? Uh, are you someone who's driven by significance? Meaning, do you want to be recognized for a lot of the stuff you have? Do you need to see yourself progressing? Are you someone who's motivated by belonging? That's something that's really important to me. I want to go to a place where I feel like I'm part of something and where I can be helpful. But understanding what it is you want to get out of work is an important place to start because then you can go search for those things. And if you are someone who really is interested in HR and you don't have those skills, really taking the time to use the internet to find the skills. There's so much good free stuff out there where you can build your own professional development. That's a better way to describe it. You're building your own professional development in the set of skills that you want. I think that that's important for all groups, but particularly for those that are underrepresented, um, making sure that you are taking control of your development and you obviously, and maybe not obviously, you absolutely should be asking for help from your managers, from the people around you, from your mentors as well. But just saying that there's an element that all people in professional development have to take on for themselves and, and really push that narrative forward, whether it's getting help or using the resources that are available to you, finding a mentor, finding someone who's been there, who can help talk to you about their experience, but also recognizing that your experience is important as well. And you won't necessarily be able to do what they did, but charting your own path and what is it you want to learn. And I think Right now, we're in this interesting time where we're moving more towards jobs that don't have a set of specific things you're doing, but sort of a specific set of skills you need and the ability to kind of build new skills and change your job a little bit while you're in it. And I think that's an amazing opportunity for folks because what that allows you to do is to tell your story about why you can do the set of things in this job, even though you don't have maybe the specific experience that they've asked for in the past. A good example of this is when you are looking for a job maybe at a tech company and they're looking for someone with five years of X application experience. Being able to tell the story about why you may not have five years of X application, but you've built similar applications or you work with the competitor application and know how that works really well. That kind of help me see something similar, I think is going to be particularly important for underrepresented groups, because unfortunately, we haven't all had the same experiences and 
abilities to engage in some of the stuff that other people have. But we have had tons of experience and work with a lot of grit to get to where we are and being able to tell that story why I might not have the exact thing you're asking for, but here's why what I have is going to help you get to where you have to go. So it's not about necessarily the set of things you're asking for, but what you want to do with that set of things. You're asking for this. You're trying to get here. Here's how I can help you get here. And I think being able to tell that story can be incredibly powerful and helpful for managers, hiring managers, et cetera, to see where you're bringing value to the table. Thank you, Anitra, for your insights on uh, creating attractive benefits packages, but also for your tips uh, for underrepresented HR leaders. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful talking to you today. Support for this show comes from Western Carolina University, a campus of the University of North Carolina system, with the technical assistance of Kelly Minnis.